Captain Picard, priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Am I ready, Roman? Readier Room, the only Star Trek The Next Generation rewatch podcast with onset stories by those who were there at the time. My name is Mitchell Mells, Chief Consultant of Services at Paramount Studios. With me is my life partner, Brandon Hobbs, former Head of Resources Management. Brandon, today, this fine day, how are we? Uh, wonderful as always, Mitch. We're coming off the heels of uh, April Fool's Day. I hope you enjoyed the little surprise. Yeah, it's uh, for you. enjoy is certainly a verb we can use for that. Um, it was a lot of time cleaning up my car, which I did not enjoy so much, but it was worth the laughter, I suppose. It was funny. Yeah. It was funny. So I I should have known better than to you know underestimate your pranking prowess uh, after all these years. <laughs> well, maybe next year you can get me back for it. I'll try, I'll try, but uh, it it takes a lot to overcome a master prankster, so I'm going to have to uh, begin great. planning now. Um, other than that, it's been, it's been a great week, um, and I'm really just ready to talk Trek, as it were. Yes, yes. It's my favorite part of the week, you know, I'm always busting down your door, let's do the podcast, let's do the podcast, let's record, let's record. Um, just can't wait to do it. It's, it's, I know. No, I'm I'm thinking about it all week. Right. It's uh, TGIT. Thank God it's Trek time. Right? Yeah. Yeah, well, for sure. Before we can talk Trek proper, though, we, as always, have a question of the week from our loyal, adoring, and very insightful audience. And this week's question comes from Jim H., who sent us an email uh, to ask, quote, with all of the various costumes and makeup that each episode required, are there any interesting stories of wardrobe malfunctions or other such issues with things like prosthesis? Things like that. And oh. Great question. Amazing question, Ensign. That's, uh, that's, there's a lot of ground to cover here, and we're not going to be able to get to all of it um, today in this short question segment. But we'll, we'll definitely have to come back to some of the other ones. But as for one story, this one... Uh, it's kind of focused in the earlier seasons, mostly season one. Uh, we had less of our shit together at that point, especially in mm -hmm. terms of like wardrobe and makeup and such. In fact, in season one, um, because there were so many episodes that had like very involved alien species that required a lot of attention from the makeup department, we didn't have enough money to hire them on full time for every episode. So... There's some episodes, usually the more simpler ones, where uh, people like Brent, uh, whose characters required some makeup, actually had to do it just by themselves and apply their own makeup. And Brent, who played Data, if you're uh, not in the know, which is okay, can't always be in the know like we are, um, hated it. He hated having to do his own makeup because it, it's so much. He had to put all that gray stuff like on his hands, on his face, his neck. It took a very, yeah. very long time. It was miserable for him. He couldn't stand it. Eventually, he had to get Will Wheaton to help him out in applying the makeup. But Yeah, he, he had to get the back of his neck and everything. Oh, yeah, the parts he couldn't see. Um, yeah. 
And you can tell when you go through it, the episodes, like, oh, this this is one where Brent and Will had to apply the makeup, isn't it? Like, you can see the little the little uh, <laughs> absolutely inaccuracies and, and such. But yeah, I think it's kind of cool. It gives the whole thing kind of like this indie filmmaking, big gorilla style to it, you know? Like, right. you just shoot and you take that take and you're done. And um, it's nostalgic in a way, especially as we got towards the, the further end of the series where everything was super professional, super um, on time and planned and everything went according to plan. It's it's cool to look back at these earlier moments where things weren't so uh, well executed. It right, gives, right. It there's, charm. There's, yeah, there's there's a lot of character to it. And yeah. uh you, you glean quite a bit from from how the production went just based on little things like that which is which is really nice i think for the fans to see it is um because i think it's one of those things where even if you don't know the full story of it you can you can understand the greater uh feeling on set it's that things weren't so tight and that helps you appreciate right. the final product a little more absolutely and it's it's you know like a, a little little factoid that you can bust out when you're talking trek with someone to make sure they know that you know more about Trek than they do, right? You know, in a which way, is always helpful. In a way, it's kind of like a secret handshake. I think a lot of Trek fans, yeah. um, in assessing each other's ability, eyeing each other up, they'll you know uh, put out a little known fact, and uh, depending on who wins, that that strikes the dynamic of that relationship going forward. Who the alpha is? Absolutely, yes, yes, absolutely. And that, you know, that's one of the things I really love about the Trek fan base is. Um, just how much of a hierarchy there is. It's very, very rigid, very understandable. It's you very, know? very Klingon in a way. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. And there's, there's, that's probably not a coincidence, you know, it probably right. is modeled after that. And um, I, I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, you put in the effort, you, you rise up the ranks, you know, it, right. it, it is a meritocracy. Yeah, Trek fandom is definitely something to be won and lost. So yeah. But our fans are amazing in that they're up to the task, and we appreciate that. We see you. So yeah, great, thanks, Jim. Great question, Jim. Uh, reminder to everybody else: if you want to be like Jim and have your question answered on an episode of the Readier Room, you can either send in your question on Twitter, which is at the Readier Room, or send us an email to our email, which is theReadierRoom at gmail .com, and that has a capital T, a capital R, and a capital R, and we are looking forward to your questions about Star Trek The Next Generation. All right, Indeed. so that brings us to the topic of today's episode, which is the episode titled Data Lore. Uh, what number is it? I believe it's episode 12. I think it's episode 12, too, oh. so it must be. It must we, be episode 12. We've never agreed on this before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so Datalore features uh features the long-awaited return of of uh, chief engineer argyle yes which it really should have been titled Datalore argyle yeah what yeah i mean it was, it? it was a big event um first appearance of fan favorite lore right very uh very interesting episode i, I think it's in the running for worst title of a Absolutely. Star Trek episode. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just the names of two characters. It's it doesn't even make sense. There's no such thing as like a data lore that this is this is a pun or <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um uh, it's 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 kind of horrific. I agree with that. Very odd. Um 
you'll notice Troy is absent from this episode. Yeah, um, it's it's certainly a, a high watermark for the series. <laughs> and uh, at at the time, at the time, Marina was very concerned that she was going to be losing her job with with how many episodes she was just not in. Well, it, um, did, it didn't help that it, we tended to throw parties on the set when we were producing those episodes. Yeah, yeah, which was complete coincidence, mind you. Yeah. Um, but before we get into the uh, the actual script as it was written, the episode as it was shown, um, I did want to touch on what the script originally was, um, which mm. a few of our fans might know this, that um, originally Lore was going to be not Data's twin, but just a, a female android. It was going to be a, a relationship plot, right? Right. Um, and it was actually Brent himself that ran counter to this idea, and he wanted it to be about Data and his evil doppelganger. Mm -hmm. um, Brent was very, very involved with basically all aspects of this episode. He kind of wanted to make it his baby. Well, it kind of makes um, sense, right? Given the focus on his character. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, the, the thing that is weird is, I mean, you can get a lot of, uh, of, of character episodes, right, without having to use the... Uh, the tried and true evil doppel doppelganger um, trope, right? Mm -hmm. um, now, the the reason we did end up using this this trope was, I think, pretty obvious, even to the fans. Um, you know, Trent, he was a notorious gambler, right? Spent basically all day at the tracks. Um, so the way I hear it is, one day he goes to Brent and he's like, you know, can you get me a job working on track? You know, how hard can acting be after all, right? Um, which is a fair point because Denise was still part of the cast at the time. I mean, you look at her, it's like, yeah, yeah. If, they if can't you, really uh, argue that. If you had watched the show, I couldn't blame anybody for thinking, okay, these standards are pretty low, so right. I could do it too. Yeah, I could absolutely do it. Right, exactly. I mean, I think we could have done it, um, but unfortunately, uh, we had higher callings yeah. at the time. Well, um, there's a lot of the creative process. It, it's, in fact, more creative behind the camera, right? So yeah, it absolutely is. Our talents were much more, much better put to use uh, mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. that side of the camera rather than on stage. Yeah, I think it would be it would definitely be fair to say that without us, things would have absolutely fallen apart. It would have been complete chaos. But definitely, we can uh, we can get into that at some other later point. Um. So yeah. Um. Now the the question becomes why did he actually get hired, right? Right. Um, and it's it's really no secret that Gene at the time was kind of a declining right this was mm -hmm. this was his last trek script um and he for whatever reason made the call to both change the script and hire trent double whammy um not sure what his reasoning was but that's where we ended up and um rob bowman the director he was basically forced to work overtime on on getting trent ready for for camera it was not uh, an easy task yeah, he, he did. For what it was, he did a great job. I mean, you can see it um, in, in the, the finished episode. I mean, it's it, Trent does a pretty good job. Um, the, the only thing that you couldn't train him out of was that twitch he'd have uh, whenever he'd have to do like any kind of public speaking. Right. Um, which was, you know, worked into the episode, obviously. I, th I think um, that was an effect of, of the heavy drinking. Oh, ab yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I could totally see that. Yeah, um, but it's not. It's a. It's a. A very inspired um, merger of of real life and art 
to to take something yeah. like that and not only work it into your script but make it almost a, a key plot point yeah yeah it was it was one of the one of the pivotal um pivotal things that you know distinguished lore from data um in the episode so really resourceful stuff hmm. um so this episode was i think the first uh really small scale character episode i have to think um i want to say yes you know it's funny because the the Riker Q episode is a character episode, but you can you cannot in any good faith call that small scale. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I think right. I think this is this is where Trek shines the most, and I think that's that's why we tend to like Riker episodes later on is because um, they they feel very claustrophobic a lot of the time. In I mean that in the best way possible. Right. Um, um, intimate maybe is a better way to put it yeah yeah very intimate that's right that's that's a much better much better way to put it um so overall i like the concept Hmm. i suppose um i'm sure you'll agree and uh i'm sure we'll expand on this that as the episode uh goes on the execution is pretty horrible yeah (laughs) um definitely it's it, it really couldn't have been much worse. If you just you know give me the elevator pitch, uh, Data has an evil twin brother. It's like yeah, sure, I I could see something happening here. Um, the, of course, it gets foundered. But the thing that that gets me about the show, or the episode, is that even if what is there was executed well and it was like mildly interesting because of it, the show it doesn't have any kind of um moral or ethical or even slightly deep take on yeah. on what's happening and yeah. nor is there anything psychological which is kind of what you would want for a, a character episode mm-hmm. instead it's just um you know saving the day from the bad guy and his relation to <laughs> the characters doesn't actually impact much of anything and I think, I don't know, right. part of that is symptomatic of Data being an android. Um, they can't exactly show Data emotionally uh, struggling with what what's happening with his brother because that's just not something Data can do. Um, now, they do, later in the series, they, they play with Data's ethics, um, like in that episode where he's abducted. But it's it's a little different than an outright emotional struggle which I, yeah definitely which is what this type of episode would naturally lend itself to given the premise mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. um and they they vaguely touch on uh i guess the the the, the crew's kind of uh hesitancy or hesitance to um well what's what's the word i'm looking for here i mean they they, they struggle with they struggle with the idea that there's two datas yeah, um, we, we 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 get a couple of lines where Picard refers to uh, lore as an it, you know. Um, right. There's there's a little something going on there that I guess is maybe a little bit on the nose um, and isn't really developed in any way that they could have probably spun into something a little more interesting. Yeah, they they tend to dehumanize lore, which I don't entirely buy. Like that whole dynamic right. felt pretty unnatural to me. 
mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. Um, I don't immediately grasp why they would be so accepting of Data as a person, but not Lore. Because Data's, the origins of Data are not um, unknown to them. They know that he was built, he that he was built, that he's parts that are put together. Um, right. Nor um, do I get the opposite of that, where they really want to be, um, I guess, kind to Data in, in referring to him as a human. Because there's several times throughout the series where they're very, very open about just seeing Data as a machine. Like it, it, <laughs> they, they are pretty hostile. Yeah, go, going back to the episode where Data gets abducted, like they believe Data dies in that episode. And w- upon seeing his death, Picard's just like, all right, let's get out of here. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, I can, I can understand the, uh, the inclination of the crew to see lore as more of a more of an object because you know they 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 find him kind of broken into pieces shut off Mm. i mean it's it's uh a very obvious reminder you know you you see data walking around all the time i imagine it would be easy to start viewing him as a living being um when when you see a robot broken down like that and turned off it's it's a pretty pretty obvious reminder that oh this is a robot it is basically a thing I guess um, so. I, I can see when they're because when they're talking about when you get that scene where Picard calls Lore in it, uh, Lore is still in medical bay, which we need to talk about. He's still in medical bay, um, you know, trying to get turned on, right? So Ex- excellent phrasing. Um, that, yeah, <laughs> that, that didn't come out quite the way I wanted to, but so I yes, I find those scenes where they tackle this subject to be written very clumsily. Um, not, Definitely. It's not... Um, it never feels natural. Like, even when Picard calls Lauren it, it's it's a sentence that's constructed to really emphasize that pronoun. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, that doesn't flow. The scene where Geordi, Riker, and Picard are talking to Data, and Riker and Geordi are struggling to, to refer to Lore as a human... Um, it's written where they speak with no confidence and they're like pussyfooting around the whole situation <laughs> where they, they nothing, nothing in that scene clues you in to the fact that you're supposed to feel uncomfortable with the way these people are acting. Right. It's again, it's unnatural though. The entire thing of it, it's unnatural just in a more general sense of, of human speech in that context. <laughs> and it's unnatural knowing what we know about the characters because <laughs> With Jordy, Jordy is a kinder person. He would probably just outright be referring to Lore uh, as as a human being. He's, he's more in touch with technology. Um, he is very close with Data, so it makes sense that he would kind of start on start there, where where Lore is oh, yeah. equal to Data. Whereas Riker is just kind of like a, a brash asshole who just tends to just you know put his foot in his mouth a lot and be rude. <laughs> I mean. What we know about Riker thus far is that he's a huge piece of shit. Yeah. So him like trying to be mindful and not minding his words and not knowing what to say um, doesn't really fit with him either. I do like um, the way Picard is shown handling both of these situations where he, he kind of like cuts into the conversation. And he's like, all right, we're all pretty uncomfortable in what we're trying to say here, but 
let's just set this record straight. And uh, later on, when Data points out his um, <laughs> his incorrect pronoun usage, Picard's like, oh, you know, I understand. <laughs> um, sorry about that. This is very upfront about apologizing. And that plays well into Picard's character. It speaks to his character well. And that's, that's like the only saving grace of all of these interactions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and had those those lines by Picard been preceded by a scene that actually made sense, yeah. it would have worked out very well, I think. I think we can agree on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, uh, I, I do, like I just said, I do want to touch on why uh, Dr. Crusher is such an integral part of rebooting lore. Yeah, this you is know? like the Crusher's involvement both crushers, I would say, Wesley and Doctor Crusher, Beverly Crusher, her first name right. Doctor. <laughs> um, <laughs> their involvement in this episode is very, very strange to me. Where that they needed somebody there to fill both of these roles, but it could have been anyone. Um, Crusher's role as a doctor doesn't really play into this because it's, her skills aren't needed. It's the engineers that are working on lore right the, um, the only thing that i could think of where she might be needed is her knowledge of just general anatomy because it's an android but I, that would only really really go to a superficial level she wouldn't be that involved right so it's really just because she was in medical bay at the time to hear for data to say this thing to her about the off switch that he has that's the only reason oh that she's necessary to, to be there what a clumsy he he just gives her the solution to the episode. Right. And you're sitting there watching it, and you know it's the solution to the episode. It's framed in such a way that you can't help but, but be like, oh, that's it. That's what they're going to use at some point. I wonder if this is going to be important. <laughs> I wonder I wonder how they're going to turn someone off. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, really, really clumsy stuff. And then Wesley is... He just because of his general like wunderkindness that he's perceptive of lore and data's identity, like yeah, that's yep. it. Um, oh, he's so smart. <laughs> we get perhaps the worst handling of of Wesley Crusher solving the day. Uh, oh yet. my god, it's unbelievable! It's really unbelievable. Like, anyone could have, um. We could have inferred what he infers this episode, right? But instead, we decided to make every other character just a complete idiot and like aggressively stupid. Yes, yeah, yes, that is a good <laughs> adjective. Aggressively, uh, just wow. I, I, I don't even know what to say because it is so poorly written. This may be the most poorly written just segment of an episode so far. Yeah, this this might be the Nadir of season one. Um, yeah, the I assume we're talking about the scene where on the bridge Wesley uh, correctly identifies what's going on, and people just literally cut him off mid sentence to tell him to shut up. Yeah, which is hilarious, mind you, yes. but really inappropriate given given the situation. Yeah, not for it's not uh, appropriate. It's not funny for the right reasons. Um, yes, yes, and it's it's ridiculous that um a okay let's go through all the reasons why this is ridiculous a a it's picard who tells him to shut up which is just an extremely strange thing for picard to say to anybody in any situation the the phrase shut up that's just that's just not picard but 
Yes. Um, yes. For Picard to to shut down a line of reasoning uh, that could potentially be true after praising Tasha Yar for doing the exact same thing earlier in the episode. Oh. And I recognize that that is supposed to be some kind of commentary on how they're treating children versus adults. Like Wesley Crusher makes that point. Like if an adult had said this, you would have taken me seriously. But again, this is the problem we always have with Wesley scenes. Given his history, the fact that he's promoted to an acting ensign at his young age, um, there's absolutely no reason for people to uh, not take him seriously. It right, just doesn't. Right. It, it doesn't make sense in a way that reflects very poorly on the characters that we're supposed to be respecting. Um, right. And yeah, so that's that's dumb. Next, uh, Wesley Crusher's mother tells him to shut up for another just completely unprovoked, ridiculous reason. Um, oh, there's one more thing. What, what am I missing about this scene? That's also ridiculous. Oh, Crusher, Wesley Crusher just allows them to shut him up and he never goes on to explain what his point is. That right. he starts right. it, they tell him to shut up, and then he does. And then he's like, well, I'm going to go to my room. And they're like, you, you fine, you go to your room. <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, the entire ship is in danger. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to his room. Fine. I guess we'll all fucking die. See if I care. <laughs> Which I guess is, is pretty on point for a teenager. <laughs> right. That's. I was going to say, that's a pretty good response. If they if they had written that a little bit differently, I would have been on board with that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, not really much else to expand upon there because it's just plain as day how dumb it is. Um, Terrible scene. Another another dumb thing in the episode is um, this crystal entity that, that Lore yes. is in contact with. Like, I guess they needed uh, some kind of larger antagonist to up the stakes or something, but... I mean, I like... So, okay, go ahead. Well, I, I just wanted to I just wanted to run through how how the hell he got in contact with this thing. Yes, because they they go down to the planet mm -hmm. uh, at the beginning of the episode, go into Doctor Nunian Soong's base, um, and they find him broken up into all these little pieces. Right? Yeah, just different body uh, parts. Like there's his foot, his head, his torso. Which, by the way, at this point. Um, I have to say, uh, Ron Jones' soundtrack for this episode is absolutely amazing. Mm. I was going to say that I really liked the, um, the set when they go down on the planet and go into the lab. Um, it's the same soundstage planet that we always go to, but they have this, this, <laughs> yeah. this nice, like, set of stairs carved into their rocks and it's like, everything's misty and it's atmospheric. Um, it looks better than it usually does. And I, yeah, yeah, I agree. I liked the laboratory set too, and all of that I agree is heightened by the music, the score that plays, um, well, throughout the whole episode, of course, but during that's those yeah. scenes specifically. Yeah, it's got this like very haunting sci-fi feel, very very alien feel to it, hmm. uh, which I I think that's maybe one of two times so far that the music has really jumped out at me um, in this as, season so. as being notable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not not that not that the rest of it isn't good. It's just you know, um, yeah. So so they find they find lore in pieces, right? And um, they they also find <laughs> these 
crayon drawings yeah. pasted to the wall of um, what when, looks like an explosion in the air. There's a bunch of them, too. And what they all look like children's drawings. Um, yeah. The, the common viewer might think that, oh, you know, some of the people on set, they had their children draw um, something. We used it. Not the case. Um, those are actually drawings by our own esteemed artist, Michael Dorn. Um, it became a yes. bit of a running joke that Michael would be, you know, doodling during all the, our, our table reads, just writing in the margins of the script because he was bored. And um, he his his style as an artist is unique. Um, it's 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 I would say it's intentionally primitive, and uh, that style was very useful for this. We needed to have these drawings, um, and we wanted them to have a certain look, and. It, we all realized kind of collectively, it's like, wait, we can get Michael to do this. And it would, he could do it right there on a set, bang it out. Um, it took him a little longer than we thought it, it would. He was very, very um, precise with what he wanted to, the result he wanted to achieve. So a lot of times he would get halfway through it, crumple up the paper, throw it away in frustration and start again. He was um, very dedicated. Yeah, we went through like three, four boxes of crayons. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He wanted it just so. Yeah, but I, you know, we see the final results on camera, and I'm, I'm, I for one, am glad that we spent all that time getting it just right. Right, right. All those crayons. Yeah, absolutely. We kept um, having to send interns out, like, oh, go, go get another box, go get another box. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was, it was a real treat to see him toiling away at this at his desk, um, watching the creative process in action. And uh, the end result, um, it was really just magical to see up on that wall. It was cool because we kind of see a little bit of, of um, Worf in Michael Dorn. Because while he's getting, like, creating, being the, the creative force that he is, he gets a little bit of that Worf aggression, you know? Um, picture, like, all those depictions of, of Beethoven getting angry and, like, tipping over piano shit. Um, yes, yeah. That's exactly how Michael Dorn works in his creative pursuits. Mm -hmm. So just mm -hmm. a very uh, natural fit. And that's probably why he was chosen to play Worf for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of raw emotion yeah, coming through. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, but um, those round out that set, uh, which is like this laboratory set. It's got um, some laser things going on. It's got those pictures. It's got uh, lore hanging around the back. Um, right. But they depict this disaster cataclysmic event um in those drawings right which right is ultimately the the i guess the secondary antagonist of the episode yeah if you can call it an antagonist um yeah now talking about the 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 crude drawings i'm remembering what the plot was and that's that uh, he he was he was deactivated wait now i'm confused again so Lore, when all the villagers were alive, had made contact with this crystal entity um, from nowhere. And did the crystal entity kill everyone while See, he was deactivated? It must have, otherwise who would deactivate him and take him apart? Um, right, right. He was deactivated because the villagers didn't like him or something? Yeah, because he says they were jealous of him, but it's really more of just he's... Uh, uh, it's kind of gross yeah yeah kind of slimy 
Um, yeah. So I think the timeline of events is that uh, lore is made. He makes contact with the crystalline entity to to flag it down to come to his planet, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Then the villagers take him apart, or the colonists take him apart because they don't like him. Then the crystalline... And at some... No, then data is made and also left deactivated. Then the crystalline entity comes and destroys all life on the planet. And then sometime later, data is found by the Federation. Okay. Now... Um, and, you know, I just realized I don't even care. Yeah. It's, as, as you're explaining that. The thing, is, though, is that I like the crystalline entity and what it ultimately becomes throughout the series, where it's this... Um, I like it more when it's not in contact with lore, when it's just like a very un uh, understandable, um, mysterious life form that is so alien to every other form of life that the Federation regularly encounters, um, and they have no way of communicating with it or, or again, understanding it. That's that's a lot cooler than um, just it being bossed around by lore. Who, right, right. Lord's kind of just the emissary of it or yeah, something. Or that's just kind of um, lame. And he's like, Lord's talking to it in English. Like what? <laughs> yeah, you would think they would. I don't know, like communicate telepathically, or they eventually a little more advanced. They start to communicate with it in later appearances with like uh, vibrations um, of certain frequencies, yeah. which makes that sense. Absolutely makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a lot smarter than like. Uh, crystalline entity. I'm calling myself Data now. Listen to me. <laughs> yeah, um, and I actually forgot that the the crystal thing shows up later uh, in the series, so it that'll does. that'll be fun to to experience again, I guess. Man, wait. And, um, should I remind you that lore also shows up again in the series? Well, I knew that. <laughs> it's hard to forget that. Um, I mean, it's hard to forget all the all the times we had to work with Trent, but yes, it's well, we'll get to we'll get to that in a bit. But so yeah. they go down, they find Lore, they take Lore back to the planet and or back to the starship, the Enterprise. And it's at this point that I find it ridiculous that Lore is, if you look at the the props that are used to depict his his various body parts before they're constructed, looks like he snaps together like an IKEA product. Like, it's, it's just a bunch of holes that plug into each other. It can't be that hard. Right. It's like, oh, the foot, where does this go? Ooh. <laughs> they could have put them together back on the planet's surface. Right. Had them walking and talking. Right. Yeah. Um, but instead, they take hours and hours to get him running again, I guess. Right. And they have um, to involve Dr. Crusher and, and right. Chief Engineer Argyle. Yeah, Argyle makes sense. Although, you know, if you're you're an engineer on a starship for a starship, I don't really think you're going to be a robotics expert at the same time. Android but expert. But who am I? Yeah, an Android. Yes, an Android expert. Sorry. It's okay. Uh, I, I I misgendered it. But it goes. Um, it is relevant to say, but it's like they just needed a science guy to yeah, to help yeah. this, and it's like, well, who on the cast can we get to do it? But yeah. So this is where we get that revelation that Data has an off switch in the small of his back. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, which seems a, like a very precarious place to put an off switch. Like, you can just accidentally bump into something and turn yourself off. It feels like all that, that cheesy sci-fi where, like, somebody reaches up to a robot character and just kind of taps them in one place and their body just goes limp, like, instantly. Right. And it's like, whoops, right. I turned and it off. And that's exactly what it is. That's yeah. exactly what that is. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, I think we kind of we we kind of touched on basically everything up to the point where um lore lures data into uh his room which by the way there's a lot of people walking into data's room in this episode so that's, that's going on the list yeah um wesley walks in on him sneezing i almost didn't recognize the room because it changes so much later in the series it does um, it, it, it gets much larger first of all Colors it gets get larger brighter. it looks more like an actual room uh, that someone would occupy and live I, in. I do like the idea that Data's room is like the broom closet. Yeah, it is kind of funny, but as as the series goes on, I can see why they wanted to change it, considering he becomes quite a bit more uh, uh, human, you might say. He gets a pet cat. Uh, and yeah, he has to like actually interact with humans in meaningful ways, so yeah. uh, <laughs> good choice to change that. But uh, yeah, yeah, you, you, got, you get Wesley in his room, you get Laura in his room, Lots of fun stuff. The, the interaction um, so, with Lore is in his room for the first time. Um, and yeah. They, they Did you want to talk about that? <laughs> yeah, they have this kind of conversation that is um, strange in and of itself. It's a lot of them talking about how Lore is deceiving the crew. They're, they're like, Lore, you know more than you put on than that you let them know. And Lore is just like, yeah, I did. Um, but the thing is that at the end of it, Data leaves and Lore starts browsing the Data's, the ship's computer in Data's room. And mm -hmm. the score kicks into like a very sinister thing. Despite Lore yeah. not having done anything outright evil at that point, nor being depicted as doing anything outright evil at this point. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, using a computer is not an inherently evil act. Right. So you, you listen to the score and you're like, well, I guess I'm, I guess things are going south or something. <laughs> yeah, it, it does kind of give away the fact that Laura is evil a little prematurely, doesn't it? Right. And I don't know if, if you don't have that and there's no um, meta-tonal indicators of Laura's alignment, how it feels when he when he does his heel turn later in the episode um but that's really a problem with the script right you need to i i can't imagine it was necessary so what is the first evil thing lord does is that when he spikes data's drink he spikes data's drink yeah 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 uh which was an interesting interesting idea it was uh... it was better than the, the the first idea that we had for this initially data was just going when so data has to get incapacitated right uh the first yeah. idea was that well data just gets tied up and that's like a very classic um movie way of incapacitating somebody like oh their wrists and their feet are like tied up and they have like a, a gag on or something and of course yeah and that that was going through that made it all the way through to the end of not to the end of course but to shooting whenever somebody realized like well data's super strong what are you gonna possibly yeah, tie him break up right through it. yeah yeah it, it didn't make much sense uh so gene was watching all this of course and he's like well how about this how about lore spikes data's drink and knocks him out and it's like i that makes a little bit more sense even though data's an android but yeah, that'll probably work 
um, the general reaction was to go for it. So Gene kind of just had it on him. He's like, all right, well, we'll use this. He pulls out like a vial from his pocket. And it kind of looks like uh, the kind of thing you would use to do that. And it was the perfect prop. So Gene just like from, it was maybe a couple of minutes just from having the idea to getting it ready for, for shooting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just really saved the day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, thank God he had that. Right. Seriously. So, Lore spikes Data's drink, and they throw in like a, a line about him going to sick bay to to grab something. Like Data says, he oh, that's given our composition. What he's grabbing is like a human being grabbing an ointment, or um, or medicine, um, which still doesn't really sh- make sense as to why it would knock Data out. But okay. That's, that <laughs> it really doesn't make any sense. Right, but I, I can, I can hand wave that a little easily. Right, they, they, as tr- they tried to establish it and set it up. Um, and I like the way that Lore tricks Data, where he's like, "Oh, this ancient, um, human custom of drinking champagne," and it's like, "Yeah, Data would be interested in, uh, in participating in some kind of human, um, ritual of sort." So then yeah. Data gets knocked out, and then the, the big face-off switcheroo. Lore switcheroo. Takes, takes Data's uniform and becomes him. Yeah, which, interesting to note, um, Lore has to fix his face twitch, you know, right. to uh, to convince the crew, because Wesley comes in and notices it. Um, so going forward in this episode, both roles are actually played by Brent, um you know because Trent's face twitch as we had just discussed was actually just it was real yeah um so yeah um uh, just just a little interesting note there um but yeah so they 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 do their switcheroo um and and then enter Wesley Crusher Wesley Crusher comes yeah, in the room exactly. and and he's like oh why is um data on the floor or I'm sorry. Why is Lore on the floor? Because he switched their clothes, and right. Lore, acting as Data, says, "Oh, Lore, you know, he got really aggressive, so I had to turn him off." And Wesley's like, "Oh, well, I'm glad that you told me that because I might have thought that you were Lore, and posing <laughs> as Data." And Lore's like, "Man, wouldn't that be weird?" And then Wesley leaves. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, really, really bizarre exchange there. I'm not sure what they were going for, uh, but it didn't work at all. And so there, there are two things that uh, this episode really emphasizes that differentiate lore from data um, immediately. Right? There's yes. the face twitch which he fixes, and then there is apparently uh, data's inability to use contractions. Right, his, in despite his speech. The fact, despite the fact that he has used contractions before, and he uses a contraction at the end of this episode. <laughs> Did he use one in this episode? I didn't notice that. At the very end, he says, I'm fine. <laughs> you know, Which... I like to think that that's a, um, a hint that maybe it's actually lore somehow. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, that's what it leads you to think. Right. Um... <laughs> <laughs> the series takes a whole different tone if um you imagine that from now on it's lore on the enterprise and every time they encounter lore in the future it's data right right and they just use each other's names for some reason 
<laughs> yeah, so, so it's, that's a cool idea that data um, cannot master human speech enough to use like contractions and um, I, I like that nugget of an idea, but you can't possibly attempt to make that work unless you're going to be very, very careful about um, reviewing the script and making sure he doesn't accidentally right. use one. Because it's blatantly false at this point. Right. And they've mentioned it before. It's not like they've this they just came up with it in this episode and um all the ones before it kinda get retconned. No, they've they've mentioned this idea in prior episodes. Mm-hmm. But he does use contractions in prior episodes, so Yeah, so it's, it's kinda kinda just moot. Yeah. Really. I wonder how it is going forward, because they they mentioned it before, but this episode is where it has the most spotlight put onto it as an idea. Mm-hmm. So if they mm-hmm. were to, to fuck it up from here on, now it's really um, a Well, big I guess we'll just have to pay attention. Yeah, I can't uh, wait which I'm to sure we will. review every single one of Data's lines to see how they're <laughs> pronounced. Um, but that and the facial so, uh, tick, so Lore uses some kind of blue flashlight to remove his facial tick and put it onto data which right. is perhaps the pinnacle of just star trek gadgets can do literally anything it's like <laughs> imagine programming something to do that like what are you even trying to do there <laughs> yeah uh, i mean i understand the removal of the tick but i don't i don't i don't understand the transferring of it to someone else um, like how that would work well, or, or why you'd want to do it, well, or he, he shows why bother? Data in his turned off state. He shows Data's face twitching to Wesley, and he's like, "Look, he's twitching in his sleep. <laughs> right, right, right. He's lore, right." Which he does completely unprovoked, and again, it's such which, a convenient little tool. It is, and if that's the case, why? Well, I mean, we know why we established him with a face tick, of course, but um. Yeah, it's it's we talk a lot about how the things in the real world can add to uh the the final piece of art. This is a case where it took away where Trent's facial tick um just ended up creating a contrivance within the right uh, the show itself. Right. Yeah. But you know, you got to bend sometimes to make things work. Mhm. Mm-hmm. It was it was unfortunate, but I I think uh, we did the best we could do. <laughs> we did. So after that is when Lore kind of kicks his plan into high gear, uh, mm-hmm. trying to communicate with the crystalline entity, and uh, the entity shows up. It's like chasing the Enterprise, but it's not being hostile to them. And I don't know why it's not. Like what is, what is the plan here? Is the like for the entity to just hover around the ship? Isn't it supposed to eat everybody inside? Is uh, what does the entity really want? It it eats these things, right? Does it? Well, it 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 destroyed all life on the planet, but I thought it like absorbed. Oh, yeah, I guess that that would make sense, right? Um, I guess I guess it might be kind of reaching a little too far in trying to figure out why Lore cares about this. Yeah. Or it's, wants this to happen. There's a number of things that are left unanswered. It's like, why... They mentioned that Data was turned off so that the Entity didn't, didn't eat him, but 
data is inorganic matter. It's not gonna. <laughs> he's he's not living. He doesn't have life. It's not gonna absorb him anyway. Just like it didn't absorb yeah. the Rex. Yeah. Um. And then I assume the reason it, the entity doesn't um eat the ship immediately is so Lore can get off of it because he's trying to like put something into a transporter, which I thought was himself. I don't know. Um what his his plan was at that stage or why he makes it a point to communicate to the entity and tell him that the humans are dangerous right what was his endgame right. i i really don't know i really don't know um and the lead up to it is to to, to the conclusion of the episode is just it's, it's bizarre it is it's Wait. there's like a a fight inside of a, a garage people just yeah. throwing balloons at each other balloons <laughs> whatever they are this is barrels <laughs> well i mean they were filled with helium right, uh, right to be fair to be fair um they were barrels but they, they 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 were filled with helium because you know how else would would brent have thrown them around yeah um which was another great idea from our prop master he was uh really hitting home runs um, over the past few episodes here. Um, but the unfortunate, unfortunate thing is um, Brent was a little bit rough with the way he was, he was throwing these things around. Right. Did I say Brent? Was it? It was Trent. <laughs> See, this is what the episode's really about. It's so a, easy a, to get these guys mixed up. A true go- a doppelganger situation. So it was it was Trent playing Data because he had the facial tick. So it was Trent right. throwing the barrels around. I you know there's, um, they always have these stories where like Nicolas Cage is wearing John Travolta's face and you have to keep straight which character is which. But once you have like an right. actor switch beyond that too, it's uh it's so it's just, hard to keep straight. Beyond confusing. So these things are filled with helium, right? And Trent is just wailing on them, just being very, very, very careless with them. So he throws one of them, and one of them just kind of bursts off off camera. And um, we had a little bit of a scare. Uh, I, I'm sure you remember, we all woke up a few hours later on the floor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Trent was just missing. Um, Brent was screaming about, quote, that fucking degenerate, no good, you know, whatever. Um, String of we never, we, we never, never ever did get uh, get our wallets back, did we? No, and luckily Trent's the rest. Anything like, retakes that we needed with Trent, Brent could fill in for. Um, right, right. Point. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of we've gotten the bulk of filming done because you know we actually did shoot this episode in almost chronological order, thankfully. Right. Uh, Which sometimes you want to do, sometimes it's troublesome, but this time it right. worked out. Yeah, yeah. Really, really lucky there. And um, lucky that that uh, Trent got out, you know, to do do more episodes later on. So it's, um, it took some smoothing over for sure, um, mostly yeah. on, on the part of Brent to, to repair that bridge that Trent had more or less burned. But obviously he comes right, back. Right. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Especially because later on, you know, Gene's not there to kind of um, make these random decisions last minute. Uh, you, you know, we we had people actually vetting um, new staff, so yeah, certainly um, a, good, yeah. a good safety protocol to have. Um, yeah, yeah, led, led yeah. to fewer 
fewer stories, but it was appreciated. <laughs> fewer headaches as well. <laughs> Definitely. Um, speaking <laughs> of a headache, I, I kind of can't get over um, trying to decipher Laura's plan in this episode. It's it, It's so un... It doesn't make any goddamn sense to me. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, he so after the barrel fight, he he runs into the transporter and no, he's thrown into the transporter. I he's think. thrown into the transporter. Right. He runs at Data, who like flips him over into the transporter, and he shouts, "Wesley, now!" And then Wesley transports him. Uh, but he would have had to. He would have had to go somewhere at some point anyway, right? He's gonna kill the crew. What is he? Yeah, like that's the thing, though. If if the entity if they mentioned data being in danger of the entity eating him, so that means a lore is also in danger, which means lore would have to leave. Which I assume is why lore was setting up the transporter in the first place, because that's what he was doing in that room before they they confronted him. Yeah, but where would he transport to? How was he going to signal the entity? Like, why was the entity holding back if it seems to be like a um? This primal force that's that we can't communicate with. Um, yeah. Why? Why would it care about war? Yeah. Why would it doesn't need war? Yeah. It, that thing eats by the planet, and I'm supposed to believe it cares about the fucking <laughs> Enterprise. <laughs> right. Right. You, you would think it would have like just moved on after getting uh, getting bored of waiting around for yeah. Lord to do whatever he was supposed to do. Kind of ridiculous. Yeah. And yeah, I I don't know what else there is to say about that. It it just doesn't make sense. Um, but upon the, um the, the conclusion when when they triumph over, lore, uh, the rest of the crew comes in the room into it's like a cargo bay, and they're like, wow, what happened? Oh, lore, that was lore the whole time. Lore was evil. <laughs> like, well, I guess that sucks, but I'm definitely not going to apologize to Wesley because why would I? Not even an apology. Not even. A... <laughs> Which is just bizarre. It's so out of character. Yeah, both, uh, like, maybe I can believe Riker wouldn't, but Picard and Riker both pass up apologizing to Wesley. Yeah, yeah. And Wesley also doesn't even seem to care. He's like, all right, you know, I don't I don't need people to to know I was right. I don't I don't need any kind of apology at all. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, he's totally OK with it. It, and just really uh, out of character stuff this episode the episode really tumbles to its conclusion like you have this confrontation between data and lore data lore and then that finishes and maybe 30 seconds 45 seconds later the episode's over yeah or at least it feels like it um yeah i mm. Mm. and the, the 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 last like 10 minutes felt like that yeah i mean I'm not going to say that I enjoyed most of the episode, because I, I really found this episode to be quite boring overall. Mm -hmm. um, well, once you recognize what they're doing with its premise, it there's nothing left. Yeah, um, it's it's very, very by the book. Right. Um, and it's not a good book. No, it's not the good book. And... <laughs> it, it, <laughs> um... Because of that, it's just, it, I would describe this boring episode, uninteresting episode, and a, and a boggled episode. Or no, I'm sorry, a bungled well, episode. How many cups of Earl Grey tea would you give it? 
Um, I would give it. I would give it two cups. Two cups. I I think if your rating scale is five cups or ten cups, it would still probably be two cups. (laughs) Number of cups doesn't change. Number of cups doesn't change. It's 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 a fixed constant. I think I would add half a cup or maybe maybe a dash of sugar just just because I like the concept so much. That, That makes it worse to me. When when I I'm talented with what could have been, um, <laughs> I guess so. You know, it's it's. I don't want to spend forty three minutes just thinking of a better episode in my head. Right. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. When 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 you see the opportunity squandered, it's yeah very frustrating. Um, especially coming off the heels of last episode where the concept was so dumb, but in practice it did kind of work. A little bit. Good God! What was the uh, last episode? Was that the one with that Troy's was... mother? No, no, no. That was the the holodeck episode. Oh yes. Remember we talked about how much we enjoyed the Picard moments, but everything else kind of yeah kind of sucked. Yeah. Um, but the okay. Picard moments made it kind of worth watching. Okay. How about this? How many more cups of tea would you give this episode? Had Crusher, uh, Doctor Crusher, performed the entirety of it in her wardrobe from the previous episode? <laughs> Three and a half. I buy that. I buy that. I think that's fair. Oh, we we should mention that Crusher gets lit on fire at some point in this episode. <laughs> Does she? Yeah. So Lore fires his phaser at her. Um, oh, that's right. And it hits her, and she's like fine, but her her sleeve catches on fire, which yep. was an oddly elaborate thing to pull. To me, like you could have just had it hit Crusher, and she like dives out of the room. Um, do do phasers cause fire? Has that been established? I don't, I don't know. I assume, I don't think they do. I assume they use some kind of heat, maybe. But you're right in that. Yeah. People get shot with phasers all the time, and they're wearing clothes, and nobody's ever lit on fire. <laughs> they don't get lit on fire, right? Hmm. Just a a very small moment, but a very vexing. Um, choice of effect to use i think yeah we also um another great moment in wesley history that we passed over um which that we're quite fond of here is when uh, lore calls wesley a man child troublesome little <laughs> man child which which you can still to do to this day if there were a, a reunion episode that's true that's true funnily enough I, I mean, that's we've all wanted to call Will Wheaton that at one point or another. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that that quote is near and dear to our hearts for sure. Yeah, but uh, this is Wesley continues to be a, the backbone of the series when <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. Yep. yep. I, don't, I, I think don't, I think we're almost there. I don't find him annoying, but I do find him detracting it's it's not it's not the character that's annoying it's his his placement in the script yes that's annoying yeah it's just annoying when wesley's always the one to to solve things and i don't particularly care about the drama of people not listening to wesley when they should so right going back to that well over and over and over and over yeah that that is a pretty constant uh like sub conflict 
Right. Wesley's figured something out and no one's listening to him. And there's never any progress or development in it. No. At one point, like how cool would it be if Wesley raises that point on, on the bridge and Picard, like he starts to talk and he's like, wait a second. Wesley's been right 100% of the time before. <laughs> let's let's think about this. Right, just just a little bit of continuity, please. Right. And that would justify um, it. That would justify it entirely. Yeah. Do you have any closing uh, thoughts on data lore? Um, well, I suppose while we're talking about doppelgangers, okay. Um we we should bring up Data's stand-in this episode. Oh uh, yeah, because some of the shots. That guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't I, I don't remember his name, but um, Brent hated the guy. <laughs> Just he comically hated the guy. Mm. Um, I guess I guess the uh, the the stand-in himself. He was he was a, a fan before he was hired, um, and he kind of fancied himself a real actor. You know, first time on the set of anything. Um, he wanted to get it right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He did. Um, you you could say he was he was a method actor, really, because um, he'd spend all day on set walking around with his arms cocked at ninety degrees, um, responding to directions with uh, with like beeps and boops. Right. right? Ha- I kept trying to tell him specifically that Data was an android, not a robot. But right, right. He would have none of it. He would he, have none he of it. He kept telling me, "Does not compute. Does not compute." <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh man, and it got to the point though, where, like it was pretty convincing, it just because we were seeing it all the time. And right. by the end, I think Brent was just scared of losing his job. I would be too. I mean, it was a fresh take on the character, which by that point, yeah. I think most people were thinking had gotten a little stale with the same uh, not understanding colloquialisms bit. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we'd, we'd much rather hear him say "does not compute." Exactly. Um, very inspired take by that guy. I, I I don't know where he went from there, but I hope he went on to do great things because I know. Yeah, he we'll could. Uh, we'll have to get in touch with him yeah. sometime. Maybe get him on the show. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That would be great. If you're listening, I'd, I'd love to hear his take. Yeah, I imagine he is. I mean, most most of the people that we worked with are very very into this podcast. Um, oh, definitely. A lot yeah. of requests to to get on the show that we'll mm-hmm. we'll be bringing you guys out there. Uh, in yeah yeah you know with with the logistics of the virus and all that stuff it's yeah. it's been tough but looking forward to getting some people in the studio soon can't for wait. sure can't wait um yeah so that's that's gonna be data lore that's it for data lore um pretty bad episode <laughs> um so let's move on to uh to my trivia question for you i'm in i i I'm so O for like seven now, O for six, something absurd. Yeah, yeah, I, you've gotten pretty much every question wrong, um, but I think you can get this one. All right, please, please. <laughs> so, Lore's costume mm-hmm. was sold off. Lore's costume from the episode Brothers was sold off for two thousand one hundred fifty-five dollars. Okay. okay? Laura's costume from Descent was sold off for two thousand twenty-five dollars. So two thousand one hundred fifty-five, two thousand twenty-five. Mm-hmm. Okay. How much was Laura's costume from this episode sold for? All right, we need to play by Price's Right rules, um, which is to say, 
I, I can get this right within our range. And I want to say I'm correct if I get it within $100 without going over. Within $100 without going over, sure. Okay. Um, that's, 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 pretty, uh, that's pretty generous for me, really. Really? $100? Yeah. Um, Did you get it right within $100? Yeah, that seems like a pretty small range. How $50? Well, no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm saying that I have a chance of, of bamboozling you if oh. the range is $100. I see, I see, I see. Well, you know, I have faith in myself. I've watched a lot of The Price is Right. I have uh, experienced a lot of Star Trek, especially fans. I know what they're willing to pay. And mm -hmm, if, if, you mm -hmm. hit yeah, me, yeah. if you hit me with the question and the answer is, oh, it was actually never sold, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. Um, <laughs> it's not going to be that. I do want to draw your attention to the fact that Laura's costume in this episode is basically just a cheap jumpsuit, right? Right, it's like a brown it's, it's, tunic. Yeah. Um, I want you to, to think about the costumes from the other episodes and yes. how much more intricate they were. I, right? I can see his costume from Descent in my head. It's like that black thing that looks like a Borg yes, outfit. Yes. Um, now, I always end up next leveling myself trying to answer these questions. Like I, I explain my reasoning why it should be this way, why it would not be this obvious thing. And then I just, I, I, I lose. But right. I would think that the simpler costume would fetch a lower price. However, um, the fact that you're asking me this question at all kind of makes me want to think that it's more expensive. And the fact that it's Lore's first appearance also makes me think that it would be more expensive. So mm -hmm. I'm going to say, I'm going to say a flat, $2,500. $2,500. Yeah, final answer. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was sold for $1,200. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, your reasoning fails you. Once again, you thought too hard. Am I just an idiot? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I ask you simple questions that have matter-of-fact answers. <laughs> and um, I somehow managed to screw them up. <laughs> yes, it sold for twelve hundred dollars. Someone bought Laura's tacky jumpsuit for twelve hundred dollars. Um, thank you to that fan. I'm uh, sure the proceeds went to charity or something. They're just a very dedicated cosplayer. I guess so, and no one's gonna recognize them. I would love somebody to cosplay Lore with the outfit and the makeup and the hair, right? The eye contact, and somebody goes up, it's like, "Oh, that's a great Data cosplay," and they're like, yes. "No, it's oh. Lore." Yes, I would love to see that. Can't you see the costume, the clothes? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's uh, you know, I can feel the frustration of interacting with, with Trek fans that really don't know their shit. Yeah, you know? um, as we mentioned, those would be low, they would be low on the hierarchy, those Trek fans. Yeah, certainly, certainly. certainly. Probably Comic-Con goers. Yeah, you know, fans yeah. of the, the new Star Trek films. Yeah, the JJ films, yeah. Yeah, the JJ Definitely. The, yep, yep. But uh, not our TNG fans. You guys were... No. We're going to be bringing you the, the hottest, most exclusive knowledge every week. So be sure to yep. join us next time when we hit you with some more rare gems and exclusive finds. But until then, everybody, please stay ready. The troublesome little man-child. that in the history of many worlds there have always been
beginning, 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 beginning.